Uh, hey, Tim. Welcome to Halfway There. My friends, this is a special edition episode of Halfway There. This is uh, something I've been wanting to do for a little while. I'm going to give you a little bit of context and then I'll introduce Tim. If you listen to the show, uh, you, you might already know him. Um, I have wanted to do for a little while a conversation or find some way to do a conversation with uh people who have been guests on the show that goes a little bit deeper into the things that they are interested in. Um, because the show halfway there is really about the story. How did you get to that conclusion? What did God do? What did, how did he bring you to that particular, uh, conclusion or message? And it's not really a great place to, to dive in. We talked maybe, I don't know, 10, 10 or 15 minutes about the heart, um, and a little bit about the fivefold, but these are big deals for you in your both your business and uh, in your ministry. So I wanted to take some time and find a way to hop on and talk with you. So um, we're gonna do that. If you guys can hear me in um, in uh, oh hey there we got Brittany. Brittany has joined us, which is Brittany great. has my daughter Dove, <laughs> which is fantastic. I love that. Is she supposed to be on here? Yeah, no, that's cool. If if she wants to. So what's great? I, I was gonna just hop on and say hi to see how this thing worked because I saw that I could grab a spot. Yeah, isn't that cool? But, so this is a, a platform called Get Vocal. They're actually based, I think, out of Boulder here in Colorado. And what I love about it is this opportunity. That we can we can have this conversation, but then if you guys want to hop in and say hello, ask a question, you can do that live, and then everybody can see, and then we can go, yeah, move on. But um, yeah, so it's kind of a kind of a cool platform. So hopefully, eventually, I'll figure out how to get that over to Facebook, and I'm pretty sure I got uh, YouTube right. So we're definitely live on YouTube as well. Um, okay. So I'm going to introduce Tim because Tim is a good guy. We're going to get into the, the content that we're trying to, we want to talk about today. Uh, Tim is a coach. He is my coach and uh, he's helped me a lot over the last few years, definitely discover more about myself, which is what he does. He helps people discover their unique design and then live into it. He is in Cleveland, Ohio with his wife, who you just saw, and two daughters. You saw one of them. And uh, which one was that, Tim? That was Dove. Dove, okay, because I don't Dove Joy. I, I I never see your kids, so thank you. Um, he discovered that much of our theology of the human person is based on the Enlightenment. And we'll talk about that rather than the Bible, and so he's bringing back the Hebrew understanding of the heart, and I think that's really important. We'll get into that for sure. Uh, today we will talk about the heart, why it's important to understand your design, and why it's hard for some people with God-given gifts to use them in the church. Tim, so fill in some gaps. I kind of gave that little introduction of you, but there's a lot more to you. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, I'm a, I'm really passionate about people, um, coming to honesty with who they really are. Um, and, um, my heart really ticks, um, when I see people make that shift from that, that, um, feeling of like, dread or heaviness to, uh, when they're, when they're actually lining up to who they are with what their gifts are. Um, yeah, my story is complex as I always, as everybody says, um, I would say I grew up with a confused sense of my own identity, uh, on many different levels and that God used that to position me to hunger deeply to know what identity really means. 
And I'm actually coming to see that more and more now as I look at my history. Um, uh, yeah, I, I have a background. I was a, I own my own design or web design company, which is confusing because my company is called Design Discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, but it informed it also informs a lot of what I do now because I, I work with a lot of people that have a bent towards starting things, starting businesses and organizations. Um, so I've sort of learned a lot of what I know from the School of Hard Knocks. Um, went to seminary and graduated next to this man that's next to me on <laughs> the video next to me. <laughs> yeah, that's how we know each other. Um, so had a good experience there. Um, but yeah, I live in Cleveland now and I live in a coffee shop Mecca. I think there's like <laughs> 25 coffee shops within a 20 minute drive of my house, which is heaven for me. Yeah. And I love the, there's a, st- a bit of a startup culture. I live in Lakewood. It's a, it's a neighborhood, a couple neighborhoods West of the city. So that's me in a, sh- in a nutshell. Nice. All right. So if you want to hear more about Tim's story, you can find it episode number 79 of halfway there. So you can sign up, uh, you know, just get it in, um, Overcast or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or one of those and uh, find episode 79. Tim was a guest and he we talked about some of these things, but we're going to talk a lot more in detail here. So what I wanted to get to, Tim, is I asked this question on Facebook uh, of my friends, which is something I like to do regularly. I said, is your heart good or bad? And we got a whole bunch of different answers. Some people said, one person said yes. (laughs) That was my friend, Mary DeMuth, who's an an author. Um, And I get that. One person said, another friend of mine said, uh, she has a fifth amendment right not to say. That's interesting, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Some of us, uh, you know, others, you know, of our more theologically inclined friends. I think, you know, Brock Youngren probably. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, gave a very nice answer about, well, there's some discernment that needs to take place. And, um, and some people, you know, said it depends on what you think about total depravity. So there's a broad view of the heart. There's sort of this evangelical soup about what the heart is, whether or not it is good or bad, depending on your theological bent and background. So what is just summarize for us, what your understanding of the, evangelicals view of the heart is yeah uh the way that i see modern evangelicals defining the heart is um and and a lot of this is actually somewhat uh popular level it's what you'll see just on the uh, in your average everyday church um the heart is defined as desire and emotion um that's pretty much those two things and uh, the rest of it, mm. there's not much understanding. Absolutely right. So, so that's, that's a concise. No, I like that because uh, that's maybe why we don't trust it, right? Because there is this idea that if we uh, we can't trust our desires because our desires are wicked and the, yeah. and they are bad. Okay, so that um, I think. I think is is a big part of the reason that that we don't like it. So here's my contention, though, and I think you, I'm, I probably got this from you, that that's actually a hard. It's a it's a tough definition of the heart that's incomplete and doesn't actually do justice to the human being as a as a being as a whole being. So tell us a little yeah. bit more about that. So. Um... I think 
that definition of the heart would be fair if the left side of the Bible did not exist. <laughs> yeah. But it does. Um, what, by that, you mean the Old Testament? Yes. Yeah. Um, so basically, in my experience, I mean, most things I've done in my life is I look at the New Testament, or I look at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. Um, and in fact, the way I look at the New Testament isn't correct because I'm looking at it uh, with lenses that are backwards. So um, I would say that that definition that sort of we focus on emotion and desire alone, um, it's a popular level definition. Yeah. Um, where, where does it come from? It's um, a good question. I think, I don't know if I can answer that exactly right now. Um, other than I think it's been perpetuated um, by uh, theologies that are focused on high, high levels of depravity um, on the fall. So if we're going to focus on the fall, we're going to focus on how we screw things up and how our desires are off. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I see. That's what I hear. Um, but most people don't know where this comes from. They just been handed. I think it's been handed to them from generations before in the church. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. There's this idea that certainly of depravity that, uh, we are completely bad, um, or bad in everything, right. Uh, that we do. So we can't be pure, have pure motives, uh, and therefore can't have a good yeah. heart. And, and that, my problem with that is that it starts the gospel in Genesis three, typically, instead of a Genesis one. And so there is an ideal. And if you read the scriptures as God creates and, and puts man in the garden and then, uh, and then, and then sin falls, there's an ideal for what he's trying to do. And then he's bringing us all back to that by revelation 21. Yeah. Uh, when, when we get back into the garden. Yeah, and I and to add to that, I I you know you hinted at the enlightenment a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, how you know how far we trace it to the exact era of enlightenment or what year? I don't know, but I, I'll say the I think the fallout of an emphasis on scientific method has we we are a culture that worships logic. We worship science. Right. Um, it is it is valued above everything else. And because of that, um, the heart has been pushed to the back. But what I've discovered when I looked at the Hebrew is actually surprising about the yeah. mind. Um, but based on the popular level of what people understand, um, yeah, I mean, even in how we were trained to interpret the Bible, you know, we call it hermeneutics, this science of interpretation. Um, <laughs> right. This is good to have regular solid rhythms and disciplines, but it's, it's in everything we do in the church. Even when you hear when you, when you drive by a church and you see a sign that says we're a Bible based church, it means they interpret the scriptures through a lens of, you know, exegesis of interpreting it uh, with rigorous standards of looking for truth, which is a scientific method when you break it down. Yeah. It's pretty sobering. I had a professor at seminary actually bring that point up. Um, totally. So, okay. So what is then a Hebrew definition of the heart and why does that matter to us? Yeah. So when I looked up the word heart in Hebrew in the, a real big honking dictionary, that's sort of like the dictionary when you look up Hebrew words, 
Um, it had a definition that blew my gourd. <laughs> um, <laughs> it basically said, in, in, in really highly technical language, the heart was the place of, it was the place of basically emotion, the mind, and your will. Um, and then it also talks a lot about the heart as the place of vitality. So obviously you, you kill the heart off, you're done. Um, so basically the big surprise for me when I read this was, wait a second, in the Jewish worldview, the heart is the place of the mind. Yeah. So the mind is located in the heart. Now we can easily go, oh, that's just primal understanding. They didn't understand that the mind is connected to the brain, how we know now. But I have found actually it goes much deeper than just a primal misunderstanding. If we would try to look at that perspective, it's actually what the Jew does in even in the language in Hebrew. When I learned Hebrew, I was amazed at how holistic the language was. Um, you know, the word for bread is the same word for food. Um, the word for in the word Shema to listen also means to obey. Um, so you, mm. into a Jewish worldview, you do not actually hear unless you obey. Whoa. You know, that's, <laughs> that was pretty convicting for me. Wow, having children, um, I can say that's true. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, so the other part of the heart that I've seen that's clearly in there is desire. So, so I, the four different components of the heart I can see that are a Jewish way of viewing it is the heart is the place of desire, the mind, your emotions, and your will. That's a little more popular level, easier way to explain it. Yeah. So what we've done in our culture, just on a popular level without knowing it, is we pit, I believe we pit the mind and the will against emotion and desire. And the, the views that you know, emphasize the mind and the will in life when, because those are where you get, they're supported by the scientific method uh, and they're supported by really disciplined, strong people. Our culture also right. worships discipline. Uh, we take discipline as the end, not the means. So you have a, a couple of those different threads running through our culture. And so we have a distorted view of identity when the, so the heart's really about identity. You know, when we talk about what's that person's heart or what, you know, what do you want on a heart level? We're always talking about identity. We're talking about, mm. you know, what's your engine? Why do you do what you do? Um, and motive is also a place in the heart, by the way, as well. Um, but what this is what I'm watching is we, uh, we need to enter, we need to reintegrate them together because they all matter and they're all just as important as, as, you know, each other. So, emotions are just as important as mine. You know, so you have people like Peter Scazzaro who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Well, that's like taking the church by storm and they're just sort of like, oh, well, yeah. emotions matter. That's because we have a disintegrated or a, a disconnected view of identity of totally. ourselves. So, yeah, so we've got this, this, an incomplete view of the human being. Uh, and I think that does come from the enlightenment. It does come from what we've been given even even the reformation god bless those the reformers yeah. but um not really you know not really a heart centered or holistic centered uh view and i think we're starting to come into a different kind of view now at least i am which is great yeah um okay so that's all very helpful um you know we've heard this idea okay so here's here's the other part that i want to talk about because 
um, people often say that particularly Christians, that the heart is deceitful, right? They'll quote that verse in Jeremiah. Yep. The heart is deceitful above all things and uh, you can't trust it. And so, and then they'll tell you, oh, well, you can't, don't talk, you know, don't trust your heart. And maybe what they mean is don't trust your emotions. And so maybe there's some, some truth to that. Like you gotta, you know, give your emotions some time to cool off, but you should ask what they mean. Um, But what, so what does, um, you know, just to, why is that right that the heart is deceitful? You know, you hear this in Christian music and sermons and conversation. Um, you know, why should we trust the heart that God's given us? Yeah. So I want to rewind just a second because you just said something that pricked my mind. Yeah. Or that nudged me. It's fascinating because if we only interpret the heart as emotion or desire, and we miss out that the Jewish worldviews actually the, the Hebrew word lave, L E B, if you translate it into English. Yeah is also the same Hebrew word used for mind. Like they're interchangeable. If you look in the Hebrew, there's not, it's the same. We're also saying right there, by the way, don't trust your mind. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Who, who will say that? Nobody says <laughs> right. that. Well, I mean, we'll say, we'll quote Proverbs 3, 5, 6, trust the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. So, so yes, sometimes we'll use that scripture that way. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to say like, there's, there's evidence. So here's the thing. Um, a couple things on this. This is sort of like my real exciting. This is the thing I get excited about. Right. So That's I'll why I wanted to talk to you about that. Here. <laughs> um, the scripture in Jeremiah 17, 9, when it says the heart is deceitful and beyond cure, who can trust it? Well, we we both had a professor in Denver Seminary that is with, taught on the prophets who uh, really God used him heavily. And one of the things he taught me in class was he said, I remember him saying, you've got to let the scriptures uh, play with you. You have to let them do their thing. In other words, mm. you can't just helicopter in on J- Jeremiah 17, 9 and take a principle and apply it to everything without looking at the context. So this is becoming more common for people to think of context. But what I found with the topic of the heart is we don't zoom back out enough. Um so, for example, we need to look at the entire book of Jeremiah. So the book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah is actually, I believe, trying to make a case for the broken heart, for the, the diseased heart. Um, I wrote a blog post on this called The Gospel of the New Heart. Um, nice. And I believe I, caught, I found in that I did 23 references in Jeremiah that that hint at the fallenness of the heart of the heart. So basically, I believe Jeremiah is trying to even go like Jeremiah 79 is just one example. But I think he's trying to say, look, everybody, your heart's jacked up. It needs healed. I mean, that's that's the second part of that verse that's often not even quoted. People use verse A and they they pull it out on their uh, their badge (laughs) and it shuts us down because it's often high level people that say it in our lives. Right. Well, here's the thing. So Jeremiah is trying to make a case for a new heart. He's he's building up suspense to try to show you your heart's jacked up. Like when you read Jeremiah from this context, you should have a bit of a gag reflex. I mean, you should be like, mm. this heart thing's pretty messed up. We need a new one. So all of a sudden, Jeremiah chapter 31 comes, and this is the passage that all evangelical or not evangelicals will agree is it critical to our story as followers of Jesus, which is the new covenant? Yeah. So 
the new promise, if you will. Not a small thing. Thank God. Go ahead. Not a small thing, I said. Yeah, no, no, not. I tell you, I ask people, how big of a deal is this chunk? And I, oh, it's big. <laughs> well, basically, God is promising a newly written, a heart written with the new laws. And if you know, if you understand Jewish thinking, laws are not what we think. They're, it's teaching. It's the Torah. So basically, Jeremiah is making this case that the laws of God, the teaching, the truth, the being of who God is, is not in us. It's gotten jacked up. The core driver, our core engine is messed up, and it needs redone. It needs renewed. So in Jeremiah 31, it introduces the new covenant, and we often emphasize the fact that Jesus emphasizes this through the death. You know, he fulfills it through the death and resurrection. It says that in Hebrews 8, that the, you know, the new covenant is fulfilled. But one of the benefits, if you will, one of the perks of the gospel is we have a new heart now. So people might look at that passage and go, yeah, I'm not sure it's called new. Well, there's a retelling of the new covenant in Ezekiel. Um, let me pick up the exact reference here yeah. for all you Bible-loving thumpers. Well, while you do that, I grabbed uh, the link to the your your blog post, The Gospel of the New Heart. I've tossed it in the chat here. Okay, cool. Uh, so people can get that. And I'll share it out on Facebook as well when we're done. Okay, so I pulled this up. It's Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. So he's retelling the stuff, the story of the new covenant. And at the end of it, in verse 26, it says it clearly. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Verse 26. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Which just basically means I'm giving you an alive, tender, aware heart again. So we sort of, I found it's, over time, we have sort of glossed over this, and it's. I'm finding that actually, this isn't. Maybe even I'm playing safe by just calling it a perk, because I think what <sighs> yeah. what's happening here is that God's saying, "I gave you a driver to who you are. It's called your heart. It's your engine. I'm after renewal of your engine because if I've got your engine, I've got you. Right. Basically, it's sort of like the difference between being a robot and being an individual, right?" And God's going, I'm going for your heart. I want your desire. Because actually I found desire is actually the core of your heart. Yeah. Um, well, you can I just say, you see this all over the prophets as well. And even Jesus will, will mention this, you know, follow the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. Uh, but yep. also, Matthew. you know, like, uh, uh, which prophet is it? Is it Amos where God says, hey, I don't, I don't want your festivals. I don't want your worship. I don't want your sacrifices. I want... You know, I want you. I want. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm. But, and I think in Joel, it, you know it's rend I mean? your hearts, not your garments. Yeah. Right. There's something else that God is after. So giving us a new heart is actually foundational to the new covenant. And I'm actually see. I'm. I'm going even further now. Oh, nice. I believe the message of Jesus can be summed up in this. I believe Jesus came to Earth to tell people, "You have missed the heart." of God. Mm -hmm. Here it is. It's me. So when he's constantly calling the Pharisees out, when they're trying to, you know, pull out these nitty picky, you know, they're, they're pulling these little laws and Jesus goes, you are missing it. You're miss. He keeps bringing them back to your, 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 your outside is clean. Your inside is dirty. He's going right. back to, it starts on the inside. It, so I feel like Jesus is trying, he's come to earth partly to communicate and incarnate the heart of God. Like 
this is what someone looks like when they're living from desire in a way that is pumping hot with desire to love God. I believe you, love actually comes from your heart. It's love in your motive. They're, they're one, they're one and the same. So yeah. I think Jesus was coming to model the heart of God, to be the liberation and show us, but to correct those that are missing it by saying, you're putting all your emphasis on the mind. You're putting your emphasis on everything, but the like the heart of the heart desire. And so that's why I, the more I read the Bible in the new Testament and the more I read the gospels, I'm like, that's Jesus message. Yeah. I think that's hundred percent true. Okay. So this is not, even though it's, even though it's Jesus message, it's hard yeah. to accept, right? <laughs> it's like, this is not what we're being taught. Uh, it's not what certain theological persuasions will, will want you to believe. Yeah. <laughs> what, so what are the barriers besides those to people accepting this view that you've run into? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, to be honest, I think the biggest barrier is probably not going to be what you might think. I think the biggest barrier to this is a viewpoint of God that is a curmudgeon. That's a Scrooge. Oh yeah. Nice. So I think that's part of, you know, as we know, I think that's part of Jesus message. And, you know, a lot of his parables are trying to reinforce a point of a God who truly loves and truly wants to celebrate you. I mean, the parable of the prodigal, which I've heard and I've read in the Greek, it should be called the parable, the embracing father, the way it's structured in Greek. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus is trying to show a picture of a father that loves it when you love things that loves when you are alive with joy, that loves it when you delight in life. He's come to give us life and give it abundantly. Yeah. And I can tell you when I see people come awake to their heart's desires or they embrace it, they embody a joy and a life and a freedom to people that don't know Jesus. That is gospel. When the people see these people, they go, they don't, they don't try to reason with them. They, they go, something's different about you. You have joy. You have life. And so I really believe if we have a belief of a father in our head who's out to get us, who's a Zeus, who's who's just he's just angry. And we haven't embraced the idea of grace means it's our sin is canceled in Jesus' eyes. It's done. Yeah. It's bought. That's the biggest barrier to embracing your heart. Yeah, I think that's right. So uh I interviewed Suzanne Stabile, who's like an international, internationally known Enneagram expert. And she said this, uh -huh. the idea that we are conditionally loved by God is a contributor to conditionally loving other people. And I would say even further, it is a contributor to us con conditionally loving ourselves because we do, yes. we do have a self and our, we have a relationship with ourselves, And so understanding, which I think is the heart kind of leads us to that, right? How we understand who, who we are. You said earlier that it's all about identity. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I love that. I think, uh, I think this is all, all really good. So you help people discover their heart. You help people find their heart. Um, yeah. How, so tell us, I guess people can find to figure out how you found that by going to episode 79 of halfway there. Cause you tell that story, but tell us like, why is that powerful? And um, like, what kind of results do you see when, when somebody finds their heart, I guess you kind of just, you just did, but give us an example of that. Like when somebody finds their heart, what is that like? 
Um, so I do, I do what I call intensive. So a lot of people, I do like two day full blown intensives with them. And, um, I'm basically helping them claim their heart's desires again. Um, I have a process I call, it's like a cycle of reclaiming your heart, which part of it is teaching the Bible correctly, teaching Jeremiah, teaching the new covenant and teaching the new heart, uh, correctly people that I found out that that's crucial that people need to know that. Mm. Um, so that's a big part of it. Um, but the ownership of their own desires is really what I'm doing with people. Um, um, really what it means is they're sifting through the voices that are what I call shoulds. Shoulds are poison to our God given desires. Um, so in other words, there's a should and they all, they're almost always from people close to us at some point in our life. Um, could be leaders in our life, could be family members, could be friends. Uh, but they're people that matter to us, which is why we act on it. Oh yeah. And somebody's telling us you should be X, you should do X. You should be a lawyer when I just want to play music. Like, <laughs> yeah. and it always comes with a, a tempting carrot that says, if you follow your heart's desires, it's not stable. It's not safe. It's too unpredictable. It's too dangerous. Um, so wh- what I'm doing with people is helping them not judge the result yet. Because I'll tell you, actually, as a result, <laughs> if you will, when people do own their desires and they do actually go after it and act on it, I see motivation go through the roof. Uh, motivation is a part of the heart. Mm-hmm. It's a part of it's another. It's an. It's a sub. I would call motivation a subcategory of desire. Actually, yeah. Here's the here's the funny thing. Here's the thing I think that Satan is loving. He's loving this stuff that he's hiding. This stuff. He's been pretty successful. When you are tapping motivation. If you stay in the game, you will become better and better and better. You will become more fruitful, more successful, um, and you will have more joy. And and it doesn't matter what skill set it is. So um, it's so it's so crazy how people do jobs they hate. It's not even work. Like it could just be, <laughs> yeah, their week, how they spend their weekend. It could be how they're spending you know, time at church or things, programs they're working on in church or how they're, and they're doing things they hate. And if they were actually doing the thing they loved, they could be like an expert in a couple of years. Totally. Dude, that, so, you, you know that I understand that. Yeah, <laughs> I you, get that. Are, you so, are a beast. I, I love your heart well, and I love your courage. Well, one of the things that I, you know, so if people don't know my story, I just quit my job of 13 years at working at a financial company. And, uh, you know, what I found is that my heart was really languishing there and that, you know, I was, I was really angry, really frustrated for a long time because I was an artist in a thinker's world. Right. And that just didn't, they, they don't, they didn't accept the kind of ideas that I would have or the creativity and didn't even want to listen to it. Like, so I'm a four on the Enneagram. I don't necessarily care if you use my idea, but I want it to be heard at least. And, uh, you know, not getting heard was just really frustrating. I had a conversation on Facebook on my, on that question that I mentioned earlier 
uh, with one of my old coworkers who is the same thing. She's an artist. And so, you know, she's having this kind of anxiety about, about work. And she's like, she said, she actually said, Hey, at work, my heart's, I think she used the word moldy, <laughs> right? It's yep. old and moldy. It doesn't feel good. And, but everywhere else I'm, I'm pretty good. She said, and that's, that's interesting, right? Because if we're in those bad situations, man, it, it doesn't, we don't thrive, but when we do, yeah. it's a whole different deal. And we actually become better. You know, we become the person that we've been, uh, created to be, but also, you know, we become, um, leaders in it, right? That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Well, and another piece I want to throw in there is the heart is one of the avenues in which God speaks to us. And mm. if we, if we shut the heart off, we miss a really big deal. I mean, it's sort of like we're just letting the heart have enough of a voice that it's not going to disturb us when this was God's idea. This wasn't my idea. I mean, it, I wish it wasn't my idea because it's been so hard. Yeah. Um, but in that passage in Ezekiel that I mentioned, it's almost fusing the new heart and the new spirit together. Well, part of the way you listen to uh, your heart is through intuition, and your heart speaks through intuition. So I will tell you story. I could tell you story after story after story where I've been learning to listen to my intuition. Did I have a logical reason why I did something? No, but I had a intuitive like nudge that I was to talk with someone or, or, or do something. And it ended up being dead on. And so it's one of the ways God speaks to us and it requires that this is what I'm finding very fascinating about the heart to live. Well, no, I'm going to get into this in a little bit. Let me wait on this one. Actually. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> well, that might be where we're going right now because uh, so the next, the next uh, question. So, what, you know, what's one misperception that people have or misconception about God-given design? So, you're you're the founder yeah, I was going of, there. Yeah, That's perfect. Good. Design discovery. Yep. Um. Yeah. So this is where the most common rebuttal right out of the gate is that people think I'm advocating for this gleeful happiness that doesn't include pain, hardship, or suffering. Which right. <laughs> there's a part of me that thinks that the person that often says that hasn't done it yet. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I don't want to be a big jerk saying that, but I'll tell you living in your design is not easy. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Um, people that are standing on the edges and making fun of people that are taking risks are the ones that are not they They don't know what it's like to be in the game. Um, and so what I have found is living in your, what happens is God made your God-given design. So when I say design, what, it, what I mean by design is uh, it's the design of your desires. It's the way you're wired on a desire level. It's the core. I'm getting at the core of how people are. When you actually lean into it and act and step out, which means you uh, have to step into courage. Yeah. It is the hardest thing you'll ever do because... God brilliantly designed your design to be dependent on him. So it's not easy. Right. It's the hardest thing you will ever do yet. It is the most beautiful life-giving and fruitful thing you will ever do. Yeah. Um, so this is where I, I, I do think it's helpful to distinguish. There is a false definition of joy. Um, 
I also think people get weird about how they define happiness and joy as separate. And I, I think there is a lot of happiness and joy, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, I think that's, I, that's I defi- good. Yeah, go ahead. No, I think that's good. I think that's important. I, I think by doing that, we undervalue being happy, you know, and I, I'm not sure that that's right. You know, we're not always going to be happy, but there is a certain, there, there is happiness becomes a choice, right? It is a, it is a thing that we decide we're going to do or not. We're going to see the yeah. world as, you know, there are good things in it for me and we're, or not. And, uh, yeah. your happiness is really dependent upon that. So, um, man, I wish I practiced that a lot better, but that's, I definitely think it's true. Yeah. And I, so I define joy as the experience of being fully alive and, I can add a a second definition that clarifies it even more. Uh, Joy is the fruit of engaging your desire. So joy is, you know, in Galatians five, it's a fruit of the spirit. So it's the result of something else. So, so here's the thing. When people step into desire, when they do the thing that scares them a bit and yet calls them to life desire (laughs) after they step out, boom, they experience joy. Mm-hmm. So it's the result of living and taking risks. Um, now, I'm not, the other thing that I'll tell people is I'm not saying that everyone should quit their full time job right away and go be an idiot. I'm not saying that at all. There's still wisdom on how we go about doing things, totally. but I'm going to tell people on a very basic level if you find your, your, your who you are, start moving towards that now. Right. And you're going to be more successful if you want to talk success. But to me, it's not that about that in the end. It's about being faithful to who you are, who God made you to be. And this is where I take it to another level. Your yeah. heart is actually, well, this is, dang it, I'm getting right before the next section. I'll hold. That's okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So, yeah, I think this is, this is a good point. This is something that uh, Brock brought up in the, the little conversation I had on Facebook before this, he said, this takes us back to the other discussion about how the spirit leads us. Right. Um, It can be difficult to discern. And so how do you discern what your heart, you know, that you're, whether you're going with an actual desire or just an emotion that maybe you need to feel and let go. So emotions, uh, the way I view emotions, emotions are indicators of how much you are in your design or not. Um, so like if you think of desire as the baseline, your emotions tell you when you start experiencing emotions that are what I call, there's some other people talk about this too, high joy emotions. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, we talk about happiness or excitement. That's one of the high joy emotions. Um, focus, when you feel focused or peaceful, those are surround, those are emotions that tell you when you're in joy as well. Um, so I'm, I'm watching people's emotions when I'm working with them, like a hawk, because God Mm. gave you a set of emotions that are uniquely tailored to communicate when you're in your design and when you're not, I can tell a lot of people. What's that? I said, I can testify. That's true, Tim. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's really fun. So I'll just tell you, this is a true story happened last week. I won't reveal the person's name. I finished doing design discovery with them. I went through the whole thing. I asked them, how was this process for you? We did some debrief. She said, 
this is the first morning. I believe she's in her 40s. She said, this is the first morning I woke up not feeling depressed. Wow. In many, many years. She said that. And part of it is she has she is re-embracing her heart. She's reclaiming. And, and I have found that, yes, there is absolutely a place for therapy. But I have found that a lot of depression, I mean, if you think of depression as, be, you know, the word depressed is to push down. If you think of depression as you're pushed down by so much stuff that you can't get up, literally, you're stuck emotionally, you're stuck, you feel just like you can't get up. A lot of, a lot of depression that I observe is because of people who have lost touch with who they are. There's so much weight on them that's telling them to be someone they're not, that they are, they are literally laying pinned down underneath weights. Uh, and mm-hmm. it breaks my heart um, because people, once they reconnect with who they are, oh my gosh. The weight is off because God designed us to experience freedom and joy when we're just being who he made us to be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I always think of Giles Corey. Do you remember that in, uh, um, he was a, he was one of those guys who was during the Salem witch trials. He was, he was killed, but Mm. you know how they killed him? They put, they put weights on his chest and they just kept putting big rocks on his chest until he couldn't breathe. And, it feels that way, right? Like it's very much that, that way. If you're going to, you know, if you're not living in your design and you, you can't figure out what's wrong if you don't have somebody to, to kind of help you. Yeah. Okay. That happens also in the, um, in the church. Right. And so one of your, one of your big things is you work with people who are apostles and prophets. Um, and you, you help people. This comes from the fivefold, which is in Ephesians. So we need to talk about that a little bit to introduce it, um, yep. and then uh, and then tell us like you know what happens yeah. to those people. Yeah. Um. So the fivefold, it, it's a term that ref- is referring to the five gifts in Ephesians four eleven, which is referring to apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, shepherd, or teacher. Um. And th- this and, is like a, I had never heard this. I grew up in the church my entire life, more pretty evangelical, but not like charismatic or Pentecostal. So it's, it's, it's bigger in those circles, right? Like yeah, language. Okay. Well, up until more recently, um, I think Alan Hirsch released one of his first books er- earlier on in 2000 something. I read uh, the shaping of things to come by Alan Hirsch, I think, and Michael Frost is the other author. Yeah, uh, I also have read on it from other house church guys because I've had a lot of exposure in the house church world, and and then there's some other people like Mike Breen, um, and a, a lot of people are starting to run with it now. So yeah. I'm one of the people doing unique things around it now. But basically, if I summarize it, the fivefold is ref- the people that are teaching on it now are basically saying these five gifts are not just meant as a haphazard list of gifts. Um, but instead it's meant to represent a holistic paradigm of development. Um, so basically each of the gifts represents, and this is how I say it, a phase of growth in a movement. Um, and especially in the movement of the kingdom, but it also applies in all movements actually works Mm. to understand business organizations, church. Um, so basically when you understand the first couple gifts, which is that I highly focus on those two when I do my one-on-one coaching work, I do work with the other gifts too. Um, but the people I do the longest, deepest work with that one-on-one coaching are usually apostles and prophets. Probably 75% of the people I work, work with are apostles. 
Um, so the each of those gifts is unusual, and I'll tell you that the first two gifts on that list, apostles and prophets, are the most misunderstood. Period. Yeah. So yeah, this for uh, most of us. I like I said, I grew up in an evangelical background. This is yeah, hard for me us, too. right? So it's like, uh, you know, we were essentially cessationists. We would say, well, there are no more apostles because there were there were the apostles that that God uh, appointed, Jesus appointed, and then that was it. And yeah. there's no more or there's, but we'll say, yeah, there were evangelists and there are shepherds, teachers. And then, so we put all the emphasis on that, the back half of that fivefold uh, and prophets. We don't even know what to do with like, that just freaks us out a little bit and we just want to ignore it. So what, what, <laughs> what yeah. Like, what do we do? That's weird. You think he's heard from God. I can't prove that. Right. Again, this is the thing. This is the, this exactly. is the whole thing. So how, like, what do we do with these guys? Like, how? Why should we believe that apostles and prophets exist? Yeah, I just like that you said I can't prove that. That's sort of the paradigm. <laughs> it's of, the point. Like, that's what. That's how it goes, right? I can't prove that you heard from God. I have no idea. And and that is not a biblical statement to say I can prove that. By the way, right? Um, right well, there you go. But it's like what that, we were handed, right? Well, that's the interesting um, thing I think about the objections to prophets that, yeah. you know, I've, I've recently come to a place, God is doing something with me and I'm not sure where it's going with that, but, um, I've recently come to a place where I say, you know, you, you read scripture all over the place, all over from beginning to end, from Adam to John at the end, uh, there is, God is talking to people and people are responding to him. The whole, every character, you, you'd be hard pressed to name one that doesn't maybe, um, like maybe Esther, but even then God speaks to her in the voice of her cousin, right? So there's there's something there. God is always working, always speaking, and it never stops. And so there's a there's a real question for me. Why would I not expect to experience that? Sorry, that was a long diatribe about No, that's good. About the, but I think so, it gets to the heart of what we're talking about. Speaking of the heart, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I would say yeah. <laughs> I would say this topic of whether God speaks or not today is as much of a blunder or a confusion and issue. It's it's a very similar issue to how we view the heart, because what we do often is because we take things from a scientific perspective, we go, give me the one verse that proves it and I'll be I'll be a believer. But that's not how you do things in a world that has story at the center. Um, you don't, right. you, you don't prove you can, the way we think of the word prove is so messed up. There's no faith as a, as a part of that. Right. Right. So I, I tell people, if you want to look at the heart, you have to start with Genesis one and then we'll, then we'll talk and we'll talk about the worldview and how even in their language, the heart was holistic. And yes, we can use scriptures to give good evidence for this, but I, the topic of hearing God's voice, like you said, it's a holistic worldview shift. So the the main thrust of this argument comes from 1 Corinthians 13, where people say, when the perfect uh, this, you know, appears, the imperfect goes away. There's like one. I, this topic is so bizarre to me. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I get it. I was in it for a long time. Um, basically, they're equating the imperfect or the the imperfect in 1 Corinthians 13 as the completed Bible. And right, so they're saying right, when right. the Bible was complete, we don't, God didn't need to speak anymore, which is, <laughs> which might be going the exact opposite direction. Well, and, given God's goal so there for are some history. key people that have taught this 
And I love the people. I love Christians, but I will be honest. I call this heresy now. It's heresy to not mm. believe that God speaks today. I I love the people. I love them. But it's heresy to say that, that God is off somewhere on a lawn chair sitting there doing what? That he can't engage us anymore because of a yeah. really terrible misinterpretation of 1 Corinthians 13. And and what it does to someone when they can't start hearing his voice. Like, I love the people, but I just realize it's it's it kills their soul. Yeah. Um, so but what does this do? Because if we reject that, and again, we're talking about apostles and prophets, right? So we're, we're really, we kind of, stumbled into, yeah. <laughs> into listening to, to the Lord, which listen, we can do a whole nother thing on listening prayer. We should we do can. that sometime. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but there's also, so this idea of, of apostles and prophets, there's some cost to rejecting that implicitly or explicitly. Yes. What, what is that cost? Yes. Thank you. And that's really where this, the rubber hits the road. So there's two, there's two, or there's a couple angles on this. As I started I really appreciated Alan Hirsch's take on this topic. You know, the thing he handed me was he showed, he showed me that if you look at these five gifts from just a secular perspective and you look at the development of any kind of movement, he taught, he shows like a bell curve in his book. Um, he's written several stuff. He's got good stuff. Um, he basically shows how he brings up a basic question that if you deny any of these gifts, then you deny what they're supposed to do. So as I'm understanding this more and more, the apostle, the secular equivalent to an apostle is an entrepreneur. So they are the person that they're the starter. So the word apostle in Greek means to be sent. So they're the sent one. They go into new territory. They do the new crazy thing. So they they commonly don't stick with things for very long because they're designed actually to do a new thing. Um, prophets amen. are the people. Go ahead. No, I just said Amen. <laughs> yes, yes, amen, yes. <laughs> so prophets are the people that support the movement early on, especially. And then the prophet's job, so I nickname the prophet the voice of alignment. The prophet keeps the vision going correctly, and they will call it forth to back to what it's supposed to be when it's not. So on the front end, they have a huge role, but they play a huge role throughout the entire process. So that's why a prophet is tuned in to Jesus and they are calling people to back to where they're supposed to go. Um, but it, so uh, here's the thing. So this is the big aha for me when Alan Hirsch said this was it's sort of like I call them the first uh, three gifts. I call them the movement gifts. OK. Apostle, prophet, evangelist. They cause movement. They cause people to be uncomfortable. <laughs> um, the last two gifts I call stability gifts. Um, I think uh, Hirsch calls them settler gifts. Um Here's the thing. This is his, this is the big thing when I read that book. He said basically, if you can see which gifts are emphasized in the church, you can see what div- what stage of growth they're at. And he said, mm-hmm. we clearly emphasize pastor teachers, so therefore we're at a stable or settler phase. Yeah. And therefore, there's not new movement. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So when we deny the apostolic and prophetic gifts, we stop new movement. This is a problem. (laughs) This is the very heartbeat of the Father to spread the gospel to all nations is going to come quite naturally from the apostolic and the prophetic and the evangelistic gifts just simply doing their thing. And here's here's the, the real segue for me. 
how you find out if you're an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, here's how. Desire. Right. What do you desire? So if you desire to start things, guess what gift you probably are? <laughs> <laughs> right. The apostle. Right. And there's a lot more to it, obviously. Of I'm course. Not, I don't want to trivialize it because there's a lot of layers to it. Yeah, and there's there's shades in of all of them where you can kind of um you know figure out what you know you you may not be called to the same kinds of ministries as as other people. Um, Correct. And, and that's okay. And that that's one and of that's the things And that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you help people f- figure out. It's one of the things I've learned it, through doing halfway there is that it's okay for people on the spiritual journey to to be wherever they are. So if you're in a learning stage and theology really feeds you, good, that's excellent. Dig into that and learn it. It'll become a very good foundation for you. But at later stages, there's, you know, there's other kinds of practices. There's other ways to engage with scripture uh, in order to hear the heart of God that, that we have to do and that we have to practice. And those are okay as well. And uh, the same, same thing with the gifts. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, Every, everybody, every apostle, like the, the key question I'm really after with people is how are you uniquely designed to be an apostle yeah. or a prophet, evangelist, pastor, shepherd, or teacher? Everybody's uniquely and infinitely de- designed differently. Yeah. So, um, so you help apostles figure that out. Yeah, I help all the different gifts. I would say the people I spend the most time with right now are apostles and prophets. So probably 75% apostles probably 25% profits. Uh, but I am open to working with the other ones if they're, if they're interested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. All right. Well, Tim, so you're my coach, you get my wholehearted endorsement. And, uh, <laughs> I asked you, you years ago to give me, keep my feet to the fire and you definitely do that <laughs> well, <thank> um, you. <laughs> all the time, which, which I appreciate. Um, I love love this conversation, Tim. Where can people find you if they want to find out more about uh, you know about any of these topics? The heart, apostles, and, the, and prophets, yeah. the fivefold. So, uh, I, so my company is called Design Discovery. Um, so they can go to designdiscovery.com. Um, I call myself a ministry. It's a business. That's a ministry. Sort of the one <laughs> and the same. Um, and Actually, in regards to the fivefold topic, I built a fivefold test. It's a 50-question test, and many people have taken it now. And it gives you a percentage of where you fall along the fivefold. Um, so you could go ahead and take that for free, um, and that will give you an idea of where you're at. Um, if you want to go further with that, um, reach out to me, because I that's what I do is help people get to the nano-specific of how they're designed. Uh, but you can find me there. You can reach out in there. I'm on Twitter at HeyTimMorris, at HeyTimMorris. I haven't been on it in a while. Um, I'm <laughs> right. YouTubing it now. Nice. My channel is called Design Discovery uh, with no spaces. Um, I have a new video on there that actually unpacks what I'm doing here on the heart. So I'll, I'll send you a link to that YouTube video, awesome. Eric. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be starting to do some a lot of videos because I, I really want to help people step into this stuff. I mean, it's... If we want to see God's kingdom grow, it's in the brilliance of the way he made us and Amen. living it out. Amen. I love that. All right, Tim, thank you so much for having the conversation about the heart. 
why it's important to get in, get into your heart. And uh, friends, I will have links to all of this. This is going to be a bonus episode of Halfway There. So if you just listen to it in the audio version, thank you. And uh, if you're checking out the video, uh, make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, uh, Stitcher, Overcast, whatever your podcast app of choice is. And uh, we'll go, you can always go to halfwaytherepodcast.com hey, again. Can I interrupt one quick Please thing? Please do. So I want to offer a special discount to your oh, crowd, to awesome. your people. I didn't know you were going to do that. Uh, yes. Well, I love surprises. Um, <laughs> so I'm getting ready to release an online workshop. I, so this is a part of the uh, design discovery I call superpowers, which is basically your gifts, actually. And um, so it's going to be interactive. It's going to be online. And I'm going to be doing it for a couple months. Uh, so I'm going to have a few different opportunities to do it. But I'm going to... So I, I want to give you a discount uh, coupon. The coupon is halfway there with no spaces, all lowercase, and then the number two, number five discount. So halfway there, number two, number five discount, and that will be 25% off. Nice. Um, the, right now, I'm working on the pricing exactly, but it's going to be about 65 to $75, so that'll give you 25% off that. It's about a three to four hour workshop. I'm still working some of those details out. Um, but it's going to be robust. I do this one in person. So now I'm actually doing it online. Um, so I just wanted to offer that to your tribe. Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate that, Tim. So friends go check that out. Uh, again, links and the promotion code halfway there 25 will be on the show notes as well in case you forget. So thanks friends for joining us. I hope this has been helpful. Have a good one.